You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Wilbur. Back to that then. Okay. Right. How are you, yeah, Walter? Okay, I could lose track here so easily. Um, as William <laughs> Gallagher, hello, how are you, Victor? I'm oh, I'm nice. fine. I suddenly... I was waiting for you to come up with Vincent or something, no, but we didn't I even do that. that's kind of... You do this, uh, and I always think to the Victor, the puns. Okay? Yeah. Mm. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. Now you see that just makes me wary. I am again. What's what's going on? Let's uh, let's just ignore my neuroses and and your ominous talk and find out what, what's been happening. What's going on? What have I missed? Well, so you, there, there's this cool thing. I talked about this before when we first learned about the U1 chip, the ultra wideband mm. chip that Apple was employing in uh, AirPods Pro and in iPhone yes, 11 stuff. I remember this. I don't. I know where you're going and too. That's about the new patent, isn't it? Right. Well, so back back before the patent appeared, I had posited that what this was going to allow people to do was airdrop by pointing your phone at someone else's phone because it has the ability to understand direction. Yeah. And it turns out I was on to something. Why don't you tell me about well, it? Previously, when Apple introduced this, it did make a difference to airdrop straight away, didn't it? Yeah, it... Um, could put certain things if somebody else had the same iphone as you it would put them at the top of your airdrop list and that was nice but now uh you can just sidle a lot well you will be able to just slowly rotate your phone on the desk in a conference table i have a friend rotate theirs and when they're pointing at each other you can blip blip back and forth with whatever you need especially it turns out if your name is uh charlie bob dave or alex alice oh what happened to Alex? I liked Alex. Oh, and there's a Bob. No, I mentioned Bob. <laughs> Are you saying Alice doesn't live here anymore? Is that what you're saying? I wish it was. <sighs> no. Yeah. It's actually really unusual for Apple Pay. So we've got those names from a diagram in it. So not in the text, but in the diagram, explain how it works. Patent drawing. Uh, it's uh, really unusual to see names, but they're trying to explain that there's a range of people involved. And, you know, why not personalize these things? Um Mm-hmm. Samey names, though, really, aren't they? But uh, yes, so after that, uh, this, the patents that have come out about it are to do with how to make sure it works. Uh, issues of the fact that uh, you're making this connection, but they're two mobile devices. So one of them is likely to move. What happens then? When do they tell each other, uh-huh, I've lost contact, and all these sort of things? Remarkably detailed and interesting stuff, solving a, what one would think was a really small problem, but fascinating, really. So what's interesting here is that I'm looking at this patent, and this patent is not about the U1 and ultra-wideband, which which was, mm. as we were talking about, useful for aiming at stuff. What this is doing is using optical transmitters and receivers as an alternative. Well, it looks like an alternative. Now, I'm wondering if it's going to be sort of um, augmented thing where they use bits of whatever's the most relevant thing. But yeah, this specific patent... I, I would say not. And the reason that this is, I, I would say maybe not, is that when you patent stuff, you patent it to throw in the kitchen sink so that no one can work yeah. around your patent. Basically, you try and cover the world to protect it all. And generally, there's a core technology. So this this looks like an alternative form of of 
doing this kinds of transmissions. So a- Apple is discussing using optical transmitters and receivers, which is really similar to infrared. You know, back when we used to use Newtons and back when we used to use Palm yeah. Pilots, you could change exchange contact information and files over infrared using two Palm Pilots aimed at each other line of sight using their I'm infrared sure windows. I had a power book so this is it as well, but I can't remember which one. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been there. Uh, done this. You probably did that on a Kanga powerbook. Uh, I always got mixed up between um, uh, what's the? It's not Waterloo. What's the one begins with Wall Street? Wall Street. I always got Wall mixed Street. up between that and that. I was actually writing on one. I didn't know which one it was, but I liked it very much. Um, I owned a Wall Street. That was that was my first yeah. Mac laptop. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what mine was. I built it out of spare parts, actually. <laughs> okay, and you happen to have an infrared transmitter around, so why not? Plug it in. Yeah. Never used the infrared on that one, but yeah. So this is this is what they're doing. Is they're they're patenting that sort of uh, transmission, but instead of infrared, they're saying any suitable electrical light or electronic mm. light source could do, which means that you you don't have to have. Um, you could place those anywhere, basically. You know, the light surface could be a vertical cavity surface emitting laser, for example or an LED, or an OLED, or anything else. And what's interesting about that is, what part of the iPhone already has LED or OLED? The screen? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And how natural would it be to say, I want to share something with you, and I point my screen at you. And then you point your screen at it, and it picks up. Okay, yeah. That would work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's that's where we're going with this. Now, of course... We, we still think the U1 chip is pretty awesome. This optical thing is just one way of leveraging it, but U1 is, is definitely where I think we're hot on the future. I want to talk a little bit about Apple Watch. Why do I like Apple Watch so much, even though I don't have one, William? I didn't know you didn't have one and that you liked one. They're great. Join us. Join us. Love to. Love to. Don't have one. A future Apple Watch may help treat Parkinson's disease or diagnose tremor symptoms. Yes. I wrote that uh, story as well, so I know a bit about it. Well, then you better tell me well, about it. It's quite, it's quite funny, actually. Apple is, is being quite gentle in its description of why it wants to do this thing. It's pointing out that people, I mean, so many people have uh, symptoms of Parkinson's or full-on Parkinson's, all sorts of tremor uh, symptoms for it. Um, and currently, even though there is like a, a, a known scale for measuring it that clinicians can use, that can only be done with a test when the patient is with the clinician. And in between, you're kind of reliant on the patient to remember their symptoms. And I can't remember Apple's phrase, but it was something polite, like, might not be the most reliable thing. And yeah, it did probably because the illustration is of a somewhat stooped older gentleman. You had the impression... They were being polite. But actually, any of us, are we going to remember minute-by-minute minute details of something even as important as this? We're not. But your watch can be looking constantly for it and actually applying that scale as you go through your day. So not only at the end of the month or whenever you see your doctor, it is always checking. And since the symptoms the symptoms seem to be caused by uh, your body getting used to the medication uh, that you're already on or everything else being so nicely balanced this has come through and that changes depending on your medication on your situation what you're doing and the watch is there with you all the time aware of what you're doing and the suggestion is that it will be able to help you as a patient uh, know when you're going to be in trouble know when you need to take more meds or something like that 
and and also log that so yes, you can properly and report just, it. I don't know how you hand it over to your GP at the end, but you do. You get the complete list, which actually must be quite a long read for them. I wonder if doctors are quite keen on this. Well, second by second. Yeah, yeah let's talk about the last month. Second by second. Well, but you want to highlight the outliers, right? You don't have to look at all of the seconds, but it can say, here's where you actually were completely tremoring and losing yes, balance. That, mm, yes. So uh, another uh, amazing use of uh, Apple Watch for it. I mean, th this is why you love it, specifically all of these health benefits. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online. Right? Yes, absolutely. But what we don't talk about a whole lot is is that you can take your TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and TV shows that would otherwise be only available in other countries. Okay. I'm sure Netflix, if we're not mentioning Netflix, but I'm sure Netflix loves that idea. But I suppose you've got an account, you're paying Netflix. What's the difference? Where you are? Well, so these regionalisms come down to, to who gets syndication money yeah, and things like that. there are rights issues on everything. And there, there are rights issues behind that. But most viewers, would you agree, probably don't get involved in thinking too heavily about uh, those? I can't imagine uh, spending a lot of time checking out the process. No, actually, hang on, I work for the Writers Guild. Sometimes we do go through the process. But as an individual... I know, I know that you do. That's why I said now, most viewers. Sitting front of the telly, right? what am I going to watch? Hmm. Let's have a discussion about who has the syndication rights this week, shall we? It doesn't well, happen, does it? very boring programs. Yeah, and very Thanks. boring households. So, <laughs> cheers. Over the weekend, I used ExpressVPN to binge on Doctor Who on UK Netflix. Did you not try the BBC iPlayer? I'm just, I only recommend it because there, there's more Doctor Who on BBC iPlayer than there is on Netflix. I appreciate that. So anyway, what was nice about this was that it was really simple. I fired up the ExpressVPN app, changed my location to the UK, refreshed Netflix, and it worked. Cool. And the way it works is that ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. So you can choose from almost 100 different countries. So think about all the different Netflix libraries you can go through. That's true. It's a side benefit. It's, it's, it's not something I'd ever considered before. I always VPN for security, and I, I'm going on various trips. I'd rather be, uh, I'd feel safer knowing I was going through a VPN instead of in, you know, God knows how many different Wi-Fi hotspots or even different countries. Uh, but this is definitely mm -hmm. an unusual take on this. It's like a extra bonus feature. I like that. Mm hmm now, now, obviously, saying watch Doctor Who does nothing for you because you said, but I can do that on iPlayer. So, you know, and a good example would be Rick and Morty on France Netflix well, or Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Canada Netflix. Uh, I can tell you, I went to quite a lot of trouble to get to see Veronica Mars on Hulu. Um, I had to buy it in mm. the end via iTunes, and that was complicated because I don't have an account and all sorts of things. But well, I went so to that effort, and this is just a this in comparison. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, like we just mentioned, and it, it does work. I can make that work. YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that we use ExpressVPN to watch shows is it's ridiculously hmm. fast. There's no buffering. There's no lag. You can stream in HD, no problem. And it's compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you watch what you want to watch 
on the go, on the big screen, wherever you are. And if you visit the link that we're going to put in in the show notes, if you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. William, do you get robocalls? Yes, quite a lot. Uh, actually, the majority of calls I get these days, at least through my landline, are robocalls. Do you? Yes. Do you get robocalls on your phone, your iPhone? Yeah, sometimes. Actually, not that often. Mm-hmm. So, in in the U.S., we regularly get calls, robocalls on iPhone, and it's um, it's it's really frustrating. It's really annoying. And one of the things that happens is that the robocallers uh, spoof uh, real numbers. And so sometimes I get f- calls from people saying, why did you call me? Wow. And and I I didn't call you, sir. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I just got called by you and you were, and you all were trying to sell me. No, sir, I promise you I don't want to sell you anything. I have nothing Although to sell you. while you're on the line, I do have. <laughs> no, 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 no. I have, I have no interest. I don't know. And I'm sorry. And, um, and you know, they'll call back a minute later. Why? You called me again. No, I promise I didn't. I really didn't. And, and so this is a huge problem, not just the receiving of these terrible things, but also the, the spoofing part. So anyway, the U.S. House of Representatives in Congress voted on Wednesday. They passed the Palantun Telephone Robocall Abuse Criminal Enforcement and Deterrence Act, which is an acronym TRACED. So it's the TRACED Act. Uh, 417 to 3. Okay, who were the three? Now, in this in this day and age of of hyper partisanship of of point scoring by dunking on the other party and things like that, four hundred and seventeen yes. to three shows that we can all come together. Look what Robo for just have done. cause. They've united the country like no one else. They've brought us back together. They've united Americans. Okay. That's wonderful. Actually, I'm... I'm 417 to 3. So what the legislation does here is that it basically requires phone carriers to implement call authentication technology and blocking services free of charge to customers. And it it grants government regulators a little bit wider berth in identification and punishment of scammers. And so there there exists a little bit of this technology already. AT&T offers a service called Call Protect, but you get charged a monthly subscription to access all the services. Oh, I've heard of that, yes. This this law, this bill, it's not a law yet, it has to get signed into law, but this, this bill forces providers to offer call screening tech to consumers without fees. So it... Um, hmm. It, it, it has to go through the Senate after this and then be signed but into law. But there's one thing I don't understand, Inspector... No, no, wait. I'm incorrect. I'm incorrect. This already passed through the Senate. So this this is passed Senate and House with unanimous support, basically. And and so now it just has to be signed into law okay. by the president. But uh, this is not a question about the law and the things. It's just you said that people phone you after they've been phoned. The one thing you, yeah. you know in the UK is you do not return a call from a spam. Right, because that proves that you're and now a legitimate they make user, it a right? premium rate call. Uh, Things like that. That's what they do here. Interesting. No, with the, with the spoofing of real numbers to place these calls. So in the U.S., there's a thing called the Do Not Call Registry, which was a complete waste of time and completely unsuccessful. However, the law provides that if you can can catch who was actually at the behind the number, they can be fined. Oh, okay. Right. 
and and so some people call back. Mostly, the, the people that I've had call me back have been long-haul truck drivers and elderly women. Okay. You would hope. And having, having long-haul truck drivers and elderly women angry with me is not high on my list. No. If someone like you doing all these terrible things and these funding these people gets fined, does the person who reports you get any kind of financial reward? I believe okay. they do, yeah. Then that yeah, would yeah. explain why in my first thought is just block them. I, I know lots of people who will never answer a call that comes up with numbers, only if it's a name and in their contacts. Yeah. But I, I get a lot of work from different places and I just can't rule it out. You have to yeah. answer. You have to answer and then the first second is... It's not about your credit card. Yes. Your credit card's fine, but we want to sell you a new credit card. Or have you heard about solar panels? Or open enrollment is coming, and we can sell you new How health, are health insurance. You, no, Mr. you Gullin. can't yeah, and go away. Yes. yes. Yeah. Hmm. Does your home have windows? Would you like new windows? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. What I would like is 5G. And Qualcomm... Qualcomm is set to actually deliver on that promise. Did you ever doubt them? Yes. No, not really. Qualcomm's president, Cristiano Ammon, said on Wednesday that they're hard at work on a 5G modem solution for Apple iPhone. Good. Basically, this is, this is sort of an important first step as a part of their multi-year licensing agreement. And priority number one for them is to help Apple launch their iPhone as fast as they can. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this works. Um, Apple was already sort of in the process of finalizing its 5G modems when the two companies settled the legal dispute that mm -hmm. we talked about in the past. And so it's not sure exactly what's going to happen. Is, is Apple going to use Qualcomm's RF front end are they going to use Qualcomm's package of antennas? We don't know. Hang on. But, but if, if iPhone is going to be compatible with millimeter wave 5G, then they're going to need to use Qualcomm. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see Apple here. Why would Apple not want and to be compatible with... Um... Because if they've already gone down the path hmm. and, and have already dedicated all this engineering resource and are testing it now, then... Work then it, you know, potentially is it too late is a question. Mm -hmm. um, previously, remember you saying that uh, Qualcomm had effectively hinted that uh, iPhone, Apple was bringing out a 5G iPhone this year. Uh, and we've heard so many rumors, we're so sure of it, that I hadn't realized it hadn't actually been said. And you said that, and it was hinted, and we talked about what they said, and they didn't actually the name 5G Apple. Phone. But now you just go to them directly saying, uh, Apple. So is this actually the first official, yes, it's coming announcement? Cool. Yes. Okay. It's not saying that it's going to actually happen in 2020, but that's the expected date uh, still. Okay. Yeah, you give and you take away. So, uh, talking about people who give and take away, or rather take away and then give. So, BMW, remember BMW? Oh, yeah, I've got four or five uh, outside the house right now. Yeah, mm. it's mm -hmm. which day of the week yeah. do I use Wix? So you know? BMW mm -hmm. formerly had been charging their customers, their car owners, a subscription to use Apple CarPlay. If you wanted to have Apple CarPlay, you had to pay 80 bucks a year or 250 bucks for a lifetime or something like that. Right. I'm 
I don't think I knew that, actually. Which is absurd. They are the only ones demanding a subscription fee for a service that actually costs them one time. Okay. Well, you've got to make money somewhere. You've got to survive. But... Uh, yeah, poor, poor BMW not surviving. So, in an interesting turn of events, they've actually indicated a change in path for once. Uh, indicated? There, there's an old joke about BMW, BMW drivers never using their turn okay. indicators. And so now that I've explained the joke, it's no longer funny. But they've, they, they've, they've reversed, oh, okay. if you will. I see what you did there. They've put yeah. the brakes. They've, okay. they've, uh, they've, uh, um. they've parked their previous plans. Um, anyway, they were jerks before. I, I am pulling no punches. They were ridiculous jerks for charging for, air, for car play. And now, in the UK, yeah. they've gone ahead and say they're not going to do the subscription. That, um, that, that previously, British drivers would have received a year's free subscription and then be prompted to pay £85 or $111 per year for earlier version, or earlier cars that run earlier versions of their, their head units. They had a lifetime subscription fee of £235 to pay so so what's happened is um customers who have previously paid a year's subscription for the model that are not subject to the annual fee will be offered a free unlimited subscription right. it, they may or may not receive a refund and and the subscription is ending for the uk uh, we don't know if they're going to keep doing this in other countries so bmw could continue to be jerks in your country if you want carplay but um at least in the uk they're 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 making a u-turn okay you've run out of them now haven't you there's none left there's no more comments is there I'm, I can come up with some more, but I won't. Okay, I'll I'm spare everyone. Stick shift, but okay. Um, I, you're a CarPlay <sighs> user. They've they've put it in gear, and they're going down the right okay. road now. I can I can do this all yeah. day long, William. Can I just leave you to it? Well, uh, uh, I just started to ask you, and then I changed my mind. Are, are you actually a regular CarPlay user? Historically, yes. Although for the past six months, oh. I have not been. And that's due to the quirk of my vehicle being disabled while I, I tore it apart yeah, and rebuilt it. <laughs> and my well, I took the I, I took the rear axle off, I rebuilt the, the rear end, the control arms, the differential, the drive shaft, uh, put in fresh motor mounts, I took the whole front end apart and So and you were at it. a stop sign um, and it was just taking too long, you got bored, you decided to yeah. Yeah, basically, basically. No, it felt a little squirrely, and I, I called up the, the dealer in a couple of shops and got quotes on all the costs, and just, just labor, no parts, it was basically the cost of a new car. But I like this car, and so for a fraction of the cost, I've done Which all of it Which is very impressive, but it, it doesn't my, help me with the question I was going to ask you, so fine. No, well, my wife's car my wife's car had CarPlay in it, but that transmission died, so I bought her a fresh car, but I have not yet transferred CarPlay over to the fresh car. So I've just been living without CarPlay for How the time being. How can you possibly time being. survive? Okay. Barely. It's tough. Uh, Cry myself to sleep every night. My CarPlay in her car, and so when I drive it, um, I'm on iOS 13 and she's still not, so we see a significant difference depending on whose phone's plugged in. Yes. And actually, there's a one element that I think is better on her older device, and um, when you're doing turn-by-turn -turn navigation, I can't get it to be um, the map view to be as close as you would have on your iPhone screen. It's still a kind of semi-pulled-back overview. And uh, a couple of times that's actually meant it's been really quite unclear um, of roundabouts and things like that. So frustrating there, but yeah. you can't help me. So. And and it's that 3D view. There should be a top-down view as well, which might 
help you. But Do you know, I think there must yeah. be a top-down view because I'm pretty sure that's what we are using. Um, I'm, I'd like the 3D, but um, I don't want to fiddle about with it hmm. much because usually I've only thought about it when I get into the car and we have to drive somewhere. So hang on a minute. Well, do it when you're still parked, but set the navigation and see yeah, if you can change we've views. Parked, we've got to go do things. Get that? It's a busy lifestyle here, you know. Learning experience. <laughs> All right. Speaking of learning experiences, Masterclass lets you learn from the very best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. You know, you can you can learn how to design games. You can learn how to to produce or direct movies from Ron Howard. You could learn about photography from um, oh my goodness, uh, Annie Leibovitz. Um, Serena Williams teaches tennis. There's there's tons of courses in pretty much any kind of subject you could think of. Uh, Chris Hadfield teaching space exploration. Right? When are the chances that you're going to learn <laughs> from an astronaut? Pretty yes. slim. It's incredible as a resource goes. It really is. So, you know, I, I recently checked out the game design class, and and I loved it. I was actually I saw I haven't joined up yet, but I saw a, a bit of Jodie Foster talking about filmmaking, and Jodie Foster. So, what did you learn from Jodie Foster in filmmaking? I've, I'm I'm always, I'm such a fan of her work i think she is so interesting for i could listen for hours and she was talking about the kind of emo in the bit i saw uh she does practical stuff by the way and direct things but the, the bit was just how it makes you feel making a film and the kind of scariness of it every time and how that doesn't go away and it's just very simple very plain very honest really compelling yeah but she's just so fascinating yeah. so. well as, as long-time listeners of this show will know i'm famously unfunny but um I was I was watching the Steve Martin on comedy and and uh, those lessons, and wait, is this where all the car puns have come it, from? Are you practicing? Oh, okay. No, right. no, I'm I'm really not. <laughs> don't don't take this as any indication of what Steve <laughs> Martin teaches you, because no, what what one of the lessons that I took away from that was that Steve Martin's comedy is largely around setting up and then breaking expectations. Sure. And it's that breaking expectation twist at the end that makes it funny. And it's one of those things where I, I, I must be the worst person in the world for, for this kind of thing. But I love the, the understanding of how that works. And you, you can see it in other comedians. You can see it in other work. You know, Martin Short, for example. And, and Martin and Martin Short are very similar. And so seeing that, how that, that kind of talk and how that sort of the comedy works is really intriguing. Now, I haven't obviously I haven't set up and broken any expectations here, but it's um, well. Actually, I can say as a writer, I, I've been fascinated watching uh, analysis of jokes and how, uh, in an apparently off the cuff thing, uh, it is not in the slightest off the cuff. It is honed to the no, no, syllable well rehearsed, and the, yeah. a precision of a comma in the joke makes it funny or not uh, and as utterly fascinating mm -hmm. so uh, i'm really quite keen on masterclass actually i must dive into this so with over 65 wide-ranging class offerings there's really something for everyone it's an easy way to give a gift that's personal and meaningful yeah so it's it's an easy way to give a gift that's personal and meaningful if someone in your life likes barbecue Aaron Franklin teaches Texas-style <laughs> really? barbecue. I didn't know that. If, wow. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's really something for everyone in here. Um, Will Wright teaches game design and theory, and that's that's one of the courses I've taken that I thought was really cool because games are, are like comedy, one of those things where it's really well figured out, and yet people think, oh, I could just, I could do that, and don't, right? It's It's one of those things where there's a whole lot of theory behind these things that the art is in that we don't see that right away. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if if someone in your life likes photography, that Annie Leibovitz photography course is huge. I'm sorry, I've got to tell you, um, I interviewed a guy last week and he mentioned his aunt is Annie Leibovitz. I asked him to shake my hand. And he did. <laughs> Very, wow, well done. Very cool. Okay. So, anyway, Masterclass doesn't necessarily have to be for yourself. You could give that as a gift. For a limited time, when you buy one annual Masterclass all-access pass for yourself, you'll get another one to gift away for free. Go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider to get started with this limited time offer. Buy one all-access pass and get one free to gift at masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's, that's, that's so generous. That really is. I think so. Now, we've talked a lot about security and privacy and, and especially location data, haven't we? Uh, it does come up from time to time. Yes, usually with Facebook involved in the conversation. Is that, have they done something else this time? Or? Um, not this time. This time, Yay! this time it's a company who has offices in Cupertino. Oh. Mm, try and narrow that down. Uh, what zip code? In <laughs> <laughs> Formerly at One Infinite Loop. No, no, don't know anybody there at all. No, yeah. no. So okay. Brian Krebs, Brian Krebs is a security journalist, and Brian Krebs figured out that the iPhone 11 Pro and and potentially other iPhone 11 models periodically ping the GPS model module to gather location data, even when users have have turned off or disallowed location data for apps. Krebs demonstrated the activity in a video captured on an 11 Pro running the latest 13.2.3 iOS, which showed that it continued to collect GPS data for certain apps and system services despite manual disablement of individual location services in iPhone settings. So what's interesting here is that iPhone 11 Pro seeks GPS data even when an app's location services switch is set to never request the information. Okay, do we know... If not how, then why is it? So two things here, right? Two things here. One of them is Apple says in their privacy policy on location services that the handset will periodically send the geotagged locations of nearby Wi-Fi hotspots and cell towers in an anonymous encrypted form to Apple to be used for augmenting this crowdsourced database of Wi-Fi hotspots and cell phone towers. The company says that location-based system services can be disabled individually in settings, but Krebs found that iPhone or iOS makes exceptions for certain services. Um, so basically, if you leave location services turned on but disable it for all of the apps, iOS as a system will still phone home with GPS module data. If you disable location services entirely, then mm-hmm. it, it should disable all of the system services as well. But, of course, when you do that, you break a lot of iPhone features. Yes. It's always a trade-off. But if you're walking into 
the Pentagon or something, um, or GCHQ if, here. If you're walking to the Pentagon or GCHQ, your phone gets left at the door, doesn't oh, it? Fair enough. I mean, I've never been in either, so okay, I don't know. So these sorts of offices, even if if you're allowed to bring in a phone, you tend not to be allowed to bring in a phone that has a camera. And it used to be that there were services that would actually remove the camera from your phone so that it was a proof device for bringing into these kinds of places. Um, but policies have changed, obviously, as, as phones have also become listening and recording devices and things like that. So it's entirely possible that depending on which secure location you're going to, you'll just be asked to leave the door. I've sometimes been asked to do that when I've worked in schools as a visiting author. Some of them request it. And I worked in a prison for a few days doing some stuff, and they did it as well. So it makes sense, but I do find it remarkably hard. I keep reaching for my phone in my pocket, and it's not You get the phantom yeah. vibration in your leg, and you're like, ah, that's a call. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, but even if a robocall, I would have taken it. But I'm no. sure. I'm sure you would have. We got a supply chain report delivered by the Economic Daily News that claims that Apple and suppliers GIS are having meetings about bringing you back Touch ID. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what to think about that. Uh, uh, what's the strength here? What do you think? Is this well? So it's possible that they're talking about doing it as an in-screen ultrasonic fingerprint reader. So instead of actually having a circle home button touch ID, it's going to be underneath the screen. Okay. Doesn't Samsung do something like that, or didn't they do? I seem to have heard yeah, that. Yeah, abysmally. They were using Qualcomm's technology, and it failed. Okay. Their implementation sucked. <laughs> um, so Ming Chi Kuo is, believes that this is going to happen. He's been predicting this. What do you think about that? I mean, it's an interesting one for me because Apple has put out advertisements saying that FaceTime, Face ID is much more secure than Touch ID. And so it's a little silly to, to say, this thing is more secure, but we're bringing the old one back. <laughs> hmm. um, yes. But at the same time, if it's affordable, if it's more affordable than the, the, touch, the Face ID sensors then it makes sense to do because it allows you to bring a low-cost device to part to market. And people would like to have low-cost Apple devices. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So is it possible that this be happening sometime for some, I don't know, uh, the iPhone SE 2 launch? Uh, that possibly. I mean, Ming-Chi Kuo previously predicted this for 2021, so we'll see. Now, this could be using Qualcomm's ultrasonic technology. I mean, that's that's what he said at the time, but there are others that have developed in the year since, so the GIS technology might be the likely one now. Okay. Hmm. Apple is being sued over the butterfly keyboard. This is unsurprising. Right? No, and actually it also seems... I actually thought of the keyboard when you said that about... Um, Face ID is the greatest thing. Yeah. Let's go back to the rubbish one before. Now, yeah. There is an argument that they've done that with the keyboards, although they've cleverly called it a magic keyboard. Yeah, and it's not rubbish. But the butterfly keyboard, well, there was a lawsuit. And yeah. Apple made a motion to dismiss this lawsuit. How do you think that worked out for Apple? I'm guessing from your tone of voice that the judge said, ah, go on, you've been very, very good. We'll let you off this time. Don't do it again. U.S. District Judge Edward Davila handed down an order in San Jose, California, saying Apple failed to present convincing arguments to toss the claims. Hmm. Hmm. 
Apple, in their motion dismiss, said that they presented owners with viable options to remedy the problem, including at-home troubleshooting methods, a repair program, and they extended the repair program to include 2018 MacBook Pro models. The program is an appropriate remedy because plaintiffs can have their keyboards fixed free of charge and or receive a refund for repair expenses if they paid to have their keyboards repaired. Plaintiffs, however, note the voluntary program is ineffective because it fails to address the core issue. Further, faulty keyboards are being replaced with parts that are identical, leaving the door open for failure. That is a good point. Yes. And uh, so plaintiffs are seeking damages, legal fees, and demanding that Apple publicly disclose the keyboard design is flawed. Um, and they're, they're asking Apple to fix or replace defective units with the latter demand covering reimbursement for the purchase of plates and laptops. And, uh, yeah. It's a quite an expensive decision yeah. for Apple. Yeah, and the judge is letting it go forward. Uh, do we know what will happen next? I mean, when things are scheduled? Or? No. Yeah. Eventually. Know, we never do. It always feels like eventually. they just drag on, aren't they? And then well, until there's later. a conclusion. There's a conclusion eventually. Yeah. Or a settlement. Uh, I like the optimism there. but okay. Or a settlement. You know, what's interesting here is that th- there are two problems. Anecdotally, which is, of course, not evidence, but it's, it's evidence of a few things that I've heard. Um, I have heard that Apple has a limit on how many times they'll replace the keyboard. Hmm. That people who've had it done three times and go for a fourth or four times and go for a fifth get told no you have to live with your keyboard that's not working but it's not working i can show you it's not working that's fine live with it you've taken advantage of the program too many times okay that's simultaneously hard and easy to believe but okay i i, I don't have don't hard like data but i have anecdotes from people who've experienced that so I'm That's wondering troubling. actually if it might be store related because I, I had a big problem with one of my Apple Watches, my first one, and my local store said, yeah, tough. So I found up well, Apple's support Some of that's just British customer said, service for you. That was harsh, but and possibly fair. quite fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, uh, the thing that I, I kind of, you know, since Apple redesigned the keyboard, I sort of wish that they designed a replacement module for these that went back to scissor key. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible, though, does it? The thicker well, case for a start. When they when they replace the keyboard, they're replacing the whole top case. That when they manufacture these things, the keyboard and the top case are a single unit, and uh, you know clearly they must be separable at some point in manufacturing. But it's it's not designed as a serviceable part. And I, th- I thought the metal was actually this um, uh, one single piece of aluminum. Yeah, that's all cut. So. Yeah, it, it is. But it would have been smart if they'd been able to replace it with the scissor key module. That would have been admitting I, more of a problem. It would have given this lawsuit more teeth, but it would also have been good for service. Yes, yes. I I, I, I do think that the keyboard stuff is overstated. That, although it's there, it's still a small problem. Everyone I've used, the keyboard, butterfly keyboard, has been fine, and I've actually liked it. But I have to say, since the 16 came out, um, uh, I've abandoned the thought of buying a 13 until it gets one of these keyboards. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And until I've got the money for it, frankly. But there we go. So I mean, we're, we're sort issue. of in this weird dual position where we know by the numbers that 
give in relationship to the number of units shipped, it's a small percentage that actually have these problems. Yeah. But it's a very visible problem. That's true. And if it if you're the one that it happens to, it's a hundred percent failure rate for you. Yes. So, yes. And yeah. and Apple's acknowledging through the repair program certainly doesn't make you feel good about the product knowing that it's already subject to a repair program. So mm. it's it's a very difficult position to be in. Mm. But you oh. know what feels great, right? Uh, chocolates, tea, nice keyboards. Chocolates, um, tea, nice keyboards, and paying off high-interest credit cards, getting a lower rate, and saving money. Okay. I, 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 we have Do you a agree? Do you agree? Yes, yeah. no more calls. We have a winner there. Right. Yes. Refinance your credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay, which is much lower than the average credit card rate interest rate of over 20% APR. You can get a loan from 5000 to 100000 with no fees, no application fees, no origination fees, no transaction fees, no prepayment penalties. And the application process is all online. You can even do it right from your phone. And you can get your money as soon as the day that you apply. Lightstream believes that when you have good credit, you deserve a low rate and great service, and that's what they deliver. And just for my listeners, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash appleinsider. That's lightstream.com slash appleinsider for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash appleinsider. Subject credit approval rate includes 05 percent uh, auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com slash apple insider for more information speaking of payment stuff you can now pay for london underground rides with apple pay express mode oh yes you can and i'm embarrassed to say how good it is how embarrassed are you not enough that I'm going to shut up now, clearly, but uh, <laughs> enough that I'm self-conscious. The thing, what's embarrassing about it is, uh, previously, uh, you would walk up to the, the ticket barrier, you'd tap the side button on your watch twice, hold the phone, or hold the phone, hold the watch over the reader, walk through. Uh, London Euston would occasionally uh, wig out and say, seek assistance, and you do it again, and you go through. Right. Now, you just wave the watch in the general direction of the reader. You don't press any buttons. And it's open straight through. So Total there's no saving. face ID. There's no touch Nothing. ID authentication. You just get to express walkthrough. Yeah. Total time saving, under two seconds. And yet, I now, I've done it once. I've been in London once since this switched on. And I, I would struggle to go back to the old way. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. But so smooth running but particularly actually i was carrying a lot of uh, gear and equipment so i had a bags full and previously when i've done this you've actually had to stop and adjust things so that you can get right, your juggle all your stuff on the and, button yeah and now i still have to kind of shimmy sideways but you know shimmying on the underground nothing wrong with that wow hmm. so this was came as a part of ios 12.3 and you just as you say don't have to have face id or touch id authentication to wake the phone you just wave it and it saves seconds which, when you're trying to juggle all your stuff and get the reader lined up and all that, is, is huge. Express mode works for up to five hours after the Power Reserve icon appears on the iPhone XR or newer. Yes. So that's really useful. Now, obviously, if you're reliant on this, 
you may want to carry a reserve battery just in case. Because after the power reserve is gone, you got no way. But, I have an um, iPhone 11 Pro, so actually I have no battery worries at the moment at all. Yeah. But yes. yes. This Express Transit thing has gone live on, on of course, Transport for London, uh, Portland's TriMet and C-Tran buses, Max Light Rail, and the Portland Streetcar, as well as implementations in Japan and Beijing and Shanghai in China. New York's uh, MTA is working on it for some lines starting in, uh, they started in June 2019, and they're planning to have wide accessibility by end of 2020. New York's a funny one uh, for someone like me uh, because uh, with New York, uh, it's a flat rate anywhere on, on the underground, on the tube, whatever you call it there, and you just pay at the point of entry. Whereas here, you have to tap in and tap out because there are different tariffs and different yeah. rates and things. Yeah. So uh, once New York has done it a little bit, um, it's not like you can only travel between two stations. As long as they, you, you get on, you've got the whole network in front of you and I that's ace love that yeah New York York, well New York's got it New York's an artifact of its history right New York wasn't one system always it used to be three separate companies managing it it's similar in London yeah yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's a long history there and actually funny you should mention this uh, have a look at the New York Times at the moment even if you don't have a subscription yeah the map the history of the map gorgeous map thing Although it's a weirdly geographical map, and so, you know, as a UK person, I don't know why New York didn't adopt uh, the kind of um, useful rather than geographic style. Well, let me explain that for you, because if you read the New York Times thing, they tell you. So, originally, they had a map that was Mm non-geographical, and it was disorienting and hard for people to use. Uh, Stop right there. That's the bit I don't understand. Because uh, London used to oh. have a geographical map, and it was a mess. And as soon as Harry Beck uh, invented this one, uh, it, it's here's here's the problem. What is the point of the map? The point of the map serves two things: one, seeing where you want to go and how and and where you're starting it, but also needing to know where you are on the map when you're traveling. And no, I don't agree at all. I just need to know where to get off, where to get on, where to get off. I'm mildly curious of how many stops in between. I don't need to know that I'm under Central Park You don't uh, feel any anxiety as you're approaching your stop and needing to know that you're two stops away or one stop away so that you know when to get off. That's very different from knowing that I'm under Fifth Avenue. Let Let me explain. Needing to know that you're under Fifth Avenue is not the point. The point of the geographical map and the way that it's drawn was explained in one of the first slides there where... What the designer of the map initially did in, in like 1977 or 79 or something like this when they started this project was he rode all of the lines with his eyes closed hmm. and sketched what he experienced when he went on a curve. Which is artistically felt, very nice, but but, but it actually works because you you can see and feel where you are and, and understand where you are in relation to the map, which is the whole point of a map to begin with. I have this funny feeling that every single station you stop at has the name of the station pretty clearly done. So if I know my stop is the one after 15th, then I'm good. I don't need to know uh, exactly where or which curve I'm going around. Five stops. This is the first one. That's the one before the last. I'm out of there. I'm I'm not going to argue with you other than than to suggest that you should come to New York and ride it and see what you think. I've been to New York many times. It's my favorite place in the world, actually. But uh, (laughs) if you want to defend that map, 
you explain to me why there are four buildings on it. Okay. And three of them are on Staten Island or something. So, the the yeah. buildings are, for the most part, related to transport. One of them is the Museum of History of the Transport of MTA for New York. You've got to know where you are in relation to that museum at all times. I'm saying, I see your point now. I'm saying, yes. yeah. Okay. But one of the good things that they did, and the reason why geography works for it, is that they um, they made Central Park about the size and shape of Central Park, and they made the, the lakes and water bodies inside Central Park more or less accurate to what those shapes are. And previously, they had not been. Because if you're trying to orient yourself on a, in relation to where the subway is, those things are helpful. Mm, we seem to do all right here without them. It's okay. Well, just because you're superior doesn't mean the rest of us aren't. We need help. We need the map. Okay. See, right. there you go, lording it all over us again about how you don't need a special map. You, you, know, you do better than that. Anyway. Well, that's it, basically, isn't it? Mine is the superior intellect. There you go. Star Trek quote thrown in for you. Yeah. Have it for free. Mm. Yeah. Google had a big change this week. And I'll tell you about it in one moment. First, I want to tell you about Mac Updater. Mac Updater can automatically track the latest updates of all applications installed on your Mac. Launch Mac Updater to see at a glance which of your apps are out of date. And with a simple click, you can update any outdated app. Don't waste any more time manually searching for updates, downloading, installing, and cleaning up. Let Mac Updater take care of everything for you. Mac Updater can run silently in the background and check your apps for updates every day and let you know with a convenient notification once a new update for any installed app is available. And it detects updates for over 35,000 different apps and can automatically update more than 5,000 popular apps with one click. After launching Mac Updater, you'll see a list of all your apps and their version information. Apps with available updates are listed in red, apps that are up to date are listed in green, and there are filter options to display just outdated apps or ignore apps from being updated. Furthermore, you can automatically backup apps before updating or make safety backups of downloaded updates. Mac Updater is permanently free for discovering updates for your apps. Updating more than 10 apps using Mac Updater requires a one-time purchase. No subscription or even registrations needed. And all Apple Insider readers and listeners get 10% off by using the coupon code Apple Insider during purchase. So you can scan your apps, you can maintain the overview, you can stay up to date and stay secure, and there's no registration needed. So you have total privacy, and there's just a one-time purchase with no subscriptions, no registration. So, update all your apps with Mac Updater and get 10% off with the coupon code Apple Insider. Google. Is heard Google of? still around? Yeah, I was yeah. asking if you'd heard of them, basically. Yeah, I seem to. I actually, I remember the day I first heard the name, but uh, BBC Newsroom, the guy was telling me, he was saying, I know this sounds silly, but Google is really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was in Israel and it was asked if I'd heard of it. I was like, yeah, I mean, it was 1997, but yeah. Um, so, Larry Page and, uh, and Sergey Brin were, of course, the founders. And they used to do this thing where they would hold town hall meetings within Google and take questions from Googlers. And then this year, they, they sort of stopped showing up to the town hall meetings. And on Tuesday they published a blog post where they are stepping down from their their roles as CEO of Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google. And uh, they, they said, we've never been ones to hold on to management roles when we think there's a better way to run the company. And Alphabet and Google no longer need two CEOs and a president. 
And so what they've done is they've put Sundar Pichai in control of, of Alphabet as well. He's CEO of Alphabet now also, which means he's in control of Google, which means he's in control of startups like Waymo, like the drone company Wing, like the life sciences research from Verily and, and uh, biotech company Calico, and also their investment subsidiaries, Capital G and Google Ventures. So Paige and, and Bryn are going to be actively involved as board members, and of course they're going to retain a significant portion of company shares, meaning they have majority voting power. But um, man, Sundar is it, and he started as a humble project manager, like he was he was uh, in charge of Google Gears way back when. Yeah, oh, grief! I'd forgotten about Google Gears. Yes, okay. How did that work out again? Well, apparently very well for him, so that's good. Yeah, fantastically for him. So this is very cool. Um, good job, Sudar. Great. And, and of course, there are all sorts of things that we can criticize about Google technology and, of course, Android and things like this. Uh, but I think it's really, really nice to see a humble product manager become CEO and president. This is pretty awesome. Yeah. Big changes. Okay. Definitely. Mm. So that's that's what I have for the show today. What do you got? Um, uh, just admiration and uh, adoration and, uh, I, I, I'm, I hate to say it, an itch to check my OmniFocus to-do list. <laughs> Isn't ah, that terrible? All right. It had to go south, didn't it, at the end? It did, it did, yeah. it did. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Wilbur, for joining us for this week. And, and of course, uh, if you're juggling your iPhone trying to, to wave your way through Transport for London, we'll hear all about it next time. Does Wilbur get paid more than I do? Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet, Walter? Uh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly there. What about you? <laughs> okay. You can email me at William at Apple Insider and find me at W Gallagher on Twitter. And you can find William at VMarks on Twitter and Victor at AppleInsider.com. Did I yeah, get that right? Be, Did I get that sorted out? Please be careful how you do that. Because, <laughs> you know, I did have a thing this week where somebody uh, emailed the wrong person about something and it was... Actually, it was highly entertaining, even she thought it was, but it could have gone worse. So, yes. I'm, okay, fine. I'm Victor at Apple Insider, and that's William at AppleInsider.com. And we've enjoyed this. I hope you have, too. And we'll be back next week. Please join us back next week. Please email us to tell us what you'd like to hear more about. And we'll see you then. 